Welcome to the second episode of Livewire. It's called The Human Pivot, and we've been looking at anointing. We've been talking about the benefit of serving God when God has anointed you, and we've talked about various things in the last episode. We talked about the kind of things that attract God's uh, anointing, that God is attracted to people who are more interested in being appointed by God than being appointed by man. In other words, we're more interested in serving God's purposes than some kind of title or some kind of qualification from man. I think that's a really important thing if you want to carry on with God's uh, anointing. And then we talked about the fact that it's a bit like the reversal of the curse in that in the past, when we really struggled, when we planted seeds, there was weeds, there was difficulty. With God's anointing, it's not that things become easier, but they do become more effective. In the past, when we were attacked, we were more vulnerable. With God's anointing, there's this sense of protection. So anointing is a gift, and we talked about a common or a good understanding of a definition of what it really means to be anointed. Let me read that to you one more time. Anointing is the supernatural empowerment that follows God's appointing, or what one Jewish source explicitly states as exceptional ability that flows from the Spirit of God. So I love the image of a stream when we think about anointing, because it seems to me at least that this is not something you have to go and get, it's something that flows through you. And the more it flows through you, the more you move in anointing, the stronger it gets. Like any stream, you know, the more the water passes through, the wider the stream becomes. So as we think about that, if that's the case, then what we really need to concentrate is not so much going and getting anointing, we have to stop and think what is what is slowing down that anointing, what might limit that in our lives. And to do that, we're going to look through various human pivots, people who made a big difference from God, that history pivoted on the actions and the decisions of this person, somebody who was anointed by God. So we have people throughout history who help us understand uh, more effective ways of doing things. And we will look at their lives and we realize, wow, they were effective. They made decisions uh, and things just moved forward. And sometimes we see, as we'll see in a few minutes, people who were anointed, but they limited it. So before we look at some of these characters in history, I thought I'd play you a little fun video of somebody who wants to show you how things can be a lot easier. Hello, everybody. Have you ever wondered what is the quickest way through that gate? Well, uh, let me show you. Uh, you know, it never says on the gate whether you should push or pull. And uh, I can tell you the best way is always to pull it, and I'll show you why. Uh, so if you pull it, and it comes towards you, then good, you're in. Uh, but if you push it, then you cannot get in and you are losing uh, time. Uh, so now I'm on the other side of the gate and now if I push it, uh, then uh, good, I, I get out quickly. So, but now if I pull it, then uh, it closes, but because my body is moving forward, so then the next thing what happens is I automatically go through the gate and I have saved the precious time. 
So thank you very much for watching and hope you will always pull the gates from now on. Like I pulled the girls. <laughs> So I just find that video uh, funny, I've got to be honest, and I'm looking for some excuse to put it in a live wire. <laughs> but um, I do think it's interesting that here's a guy who uh, is trying at least to show us a simpler way and a more effective way of opening a gate. Um, but history is full of people that God has used to show us what it looks like when you're moving in God's anointing. So let's look at some of those characters. Let's ask how they moved, what attracted that anointing, and also what blocked it. So before we do that, let's look at our first workshop. Before we look back at some historical human pivots, please ask, what could stop the stream of God's anointing in your life? What activities, maybe what actions, what attitudes, and what effect might these have what could weaken God's anointing in your life? What could block it? What could divert it? After that, we'll see from history if you're right. Okay, so I said, you know, let's find out if you're right or not. Uh, I'm sure all your answers were correct, but I want us to look at some really clear areas from Scripture where we know um, God either took his anointing off somebody or increased it. So let's look at our first human pivot. We're going to look at the life of Jonah. So Jonah uh, is an interesting character. Um, there's some surprising things when you look at the story of Jonah, which we won't have time to look into, apart from one of them. Jonah, if you, you know the story, was asked by God to go and speak to some very evil people in a city called Nineveh. And Jonah ran away, not because he was scared he would fail, but because he was scared he would succeed. In fact, he was so convinced that God had anointed him that he was absolutely, absolutely sure that when he preached, people would respond and he didn't want them to, which is an interesting uh, state of mind. So what happens, he runs away and he gets a ship to take him basically in the opposite direction of where God's telling him to go. And God sends a storm and that's where we pick up the story. So let's read from the scriptures. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So this is not my main point, but let's just look at the five questions that Jonah was asked. Um, the reason I want to do this is when you're going on a journey um, and you're looking for God to anoint you in his purpose, you sometimes go with others and you invite people on the journey with you. And I think these five questions are great questions to ask of people that you want to partner with. So you might want to even just make a note of them. Again, it's not my main point, but let me just give you these five questions again. Essentially, these were the questions he was asked. Who is responsible? What kind of work do you do? Where are you coming from? What is your culture? 
And essentially they ask of him, what type of person are you? Five great questions, but let's get to my main point or my main question really, which is why were the men terrified? It says in the scripture they were terrified and yet they already knew that he was running away from God. So what did he say that changed things? They were happy to take his money. They knew he was running away from God. They took his money. They took him on the journey. And then something in his answer freaked them out. What was it? It was the phrase, I am a Hebrew. See, that phrase essentially means to cross over. And this is where the problem lay for these sailors. They believed in gods and they believed, they believed actually in some tyrannical gods, but they always believed that gods were um, set within the boundary of a particular place or territory. So when this man comes to them and says, hey, I'm running away from God, uh, that's fine because he's running away from God. Suddenly they realize that this man's God is the God of everywhere. And they suddenly realize they're in big trouble. See, even Pharaoh, if you remember the story of Pharaoh and Moses, when Moses comes to Pharaoh and he tells him that the God of Israel wants him to release his slaves, Pharaoh's not worried. It's the God of Israel. It's not the God of Egypt. So in those days, that's the way they saw God. And suddenly it's clicked that this is not a God of some faraway territory, um, in some way limited to that territory, but this is a God who's everywhere and all-powerful. And that's the problem. So what can we learn from this about anointing? I think it's that God's purposes go with us everywhere we are. We can't run away from God's purpose from our lives. And unfortunately, sometimes we do. And one of the things that blocks our anointing or stops our anointing is that we think that because God has given us certain gifts, that they will have the same effect no matter where we are. And that's not always true. You know, I believe God's given me certain gifts and I believe that when I'm in the purposes of God, that God will anoint me and those gifts will have an effect that they wouldn't have elsewhere. So I think this is a really key thought for you to think about. Uh, you know, you may be a Christian, but are you in the purposes of God? And when you are, you're going to see an effect. You're going to see God using you. I think it was John Maxwell, the author, who was a kind of leadership guru. And he always said this. He said, I'm always surprised when people hire my staff and expect them to function and be as effective in a different environment when they're not given the same nurture. I believe pays, people on pays have a great effect because of the environment they're in, the teaching, the resources, the fact they've come, they've asked God to lead them, God's placed them within pays, he's given them a purpose, and while they're using those God-given skills for the purpose he's given them, uh, they're, really, they're really, really effective. I think when we move away from that and we try and escape God's purposes, that's one of the biggest blockages uh, we can have. We can be surprised because we're, we're using all our skills, but it's a struggle in a way that it wasn't before. I'm not saying that being in the anointing of God makes things easier. It can still be a real pain. It can still be difficult work, but we will see effectiveness. We will see God anoint us and make us effective. With that in mind, let's think about a different workshop. 
Before we do that, let's look at this tweet uh, I sent out as part of my L365 series. Longevity, vision comes from a conversation of awkward questions with God. Stop asking or receiving them and it dries up. I believe it's the same with anointing. I think if we stop pursuing God's purposes and we stop asking God the question, what is it, what is it I can most effectively do for your kingdom? When we stop allowing God to pose questions in our lives, when we stop looking for the next step forward, I think not only does our vision dry up, but our anointing does as well. So I'm gonna show you one more video clip and then we're gonna go straight into the workshop. everyone. Look at this thing. Look what my parents gave me to sign. Look at that. A living will? Yeah. Look at this. I get to be the conservator of their person, which basically means if they stub their toe, I fly in and waste them. All right. Calm down. You know what? We do these at the law firm all the time. It's actually a good idea. It's a terrible idea. Look at this. Look, they check do not resuscitate on everything. It's like they can't die fast enough. Doug, it's not that they want to die. It's just they're trying to plan for the future, you know, in the off chance that they're ever in a vegetative state. Vegetative state? They were just supposed to bring me lemon squares. Okay. I know this is stressful, but it's what they want. Ah, I couldn't have next get Shaq. Well, if they let me run that team for one year... Dad, if you ran the team, there'd be 87 players and a billion-dollar payroll. <laughs> and a championship, son. All right. Look, we don't get to see you that much. I'm sorry this turned into a whole thing. Yeah, not our, not our best visit. Well, we should have known you might feel that way. I remember how upset you were when you had to take your pet guinea pig to the vet and put him to sleep. Hey, Mork still had some good years left. <laughs> He was blind, and his kidneys were shot. He had more time. Look, we got to start boarding in like 20 minutes. I don't want to leave without getting this settled. All right. I'm going to work with you here. What are you most uncomfortable with? I mean, we're not married to all of these. I don't know. How about, like, like this one here? If I have no reasonable hope for normal functioning, withhold life-sustaining treatment, including nutrition and then hydration. X that one out. We can't lose that. We might as well throw out the whole thing. What else? All right, then fine. How about this one? Turning off the respirator. Nah, your mother's got her heart set on that one. Go with, you're not working with me here. Don't yell at me, Dougie. This wasn't my idea in the first place. What are, you, what are you saying? I'm saying this is really your mother's baby. Do you even want to do this? I guess I could go either way. <laughs> But it'd be a whole big thing with your mother. So you'd rather die instead of having an awkward conversation with mom? <laughs> I just don't want any trouble. I'm sorry we dragged you out to hear a Heffern and fight. I'm sure you had much better things to do with your day. Oh, no, it's, 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 uh, it's, no. No, no, no. Ma, Dad has something to say to you. I do not. Tell her what you said back there. I tell him you grow more beautiful with each passing year. No, no. He said he doesn't want a living will. He doesn't want to do this. You said that? I said nothing of the kind. I very much want to die. No, no he doesn't. So sometimes the problem is that we would rather die spiritually than ask the awkward question of God 
or allow God to ask us those awkward questions as well. Here's Jonah, he's on a journey and he's been asked some really awkward questions. Who are you? Why are you here? Who's responsible for this? Where are you coming from? All these kind of questions are difficult. He probably doesn't want to have to answer those questions. Maybe that's why he gives a short, such a short response. And I would encourage you that we need to be asking God the awkward question. God, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? And at the same time, we need to allow him to ask us those awkward questions as well. While we keep that conversation of awkward questions going, the vision carries on. And while we're in the purposes of God, the anointing keeps flowing as well. So let's take a look at our workshop. After watching the video clip, ask yourself the question, what questions have I stopped asking? And what questions have I stopped responding to that God has asked me? So just before we move on to our second and final human pivot in this series, let me just mention one thing. Um, it is possible to move outside of God's purposes for your life and still flow in God's anointing for some period of time, but it will eventually dry up. Um, I think that's, again, helpful to keep this analogy of a stream. So I've known people who've committed sin and been involved in sin, and yet God is still using them. I would suggest probably for the purpose of the other people rather than the purposes of the person who's sinning. Um, and like a stream, you know, you can uh, the stream stops flowing, but the water keeps going for a while until it runs out. And I think that's that's important for us to remember because some people sometimes can think, well, as long as God's using me, maybe he's not noticing the fact that I've moved away from his purpose or his will or broken my relationship with him. So just be aware of that and just be careful of that. The key thing is to be asking those questions, God, what is the most effective thing I can be doing for you and following that through? I don't think you have to worry then about God anointing you. God's anointing always follows his appointing. So let's take a look at our second human pivot. Noah was the second man after Adam that God made a covenant with that would shape the relationship of God and mankind. Of course, God sent a flood and after the flood, um, famously, God made this promise and this covenant with Noah. Let's just read the story because there's something special in this story that we usually miss. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the first sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Let me ask you a question about that passage that may seem insignificant at first. Why does it say, and God said? It doesn't need it. Why doesn't it simply say, um, God said, I'm not going to destroy the world and here is the sign. And wouldn't it be helpful if you could understand what was going on in the minds of people as they're listening to what God says? Well, actually, there is. It's called the Weoma formula. So the Weoma formula 
is an interesting uh, idiom in the Bible. What I mean by that, it's a communication technique that the writers use to tell us something that we don't see, first of all, in the scripture. So the way it works is this. If somebody is speaking and then without interruption or for no other reason, it says, and they said, there's something going on. So in this passage, what you get is God is saying something. Noah doesn't ask him a question. Nothing happens in the meantime. There's no reason for it to say, and God said. It just says it. What it's trying to get across is that the person who's communicating is saying something, kind of realizing that the person they're talking to isn't getting it. And so they say something again, either to, you know, um, make sure they fully understand or they fully believe or they really want to do what is being said. I'm sure you've had that situation. You've kind of said something to somebody and you're thinking they're not getting this. So you've had to add to what you say. In the Bible, um, scholars refer to this as the Weoma formula. And typically there are three reasons um, it's hinting or three things it's hinting at. Either the hearer does not understand or they do not believe or they do not desire what is being said to them. Now you'll find the Weoma formula in various parts of scripture. I'm not gonna go into all the different places now, but it is a fascinating thing to look out for. When someone's having a conversation with someone, if there's no interruption, but it says halfway through, and they said, or and God said, it's gonna tell you something about what's going on in the minds of the hearer. Even better than that, it literally tells you what it was that was going on in the minds of the hearer because of what happens next. So for the second part, they give uh, more explanation. It means that the person wasn't understanding. If in the next part, they're giving more proof or they give signs, then it means the person wasn't believing. Or if in the second part, it's followed with warnings, it means the person didn't desire what the person was saying. So in this case, what this passage is doing is it's helping us understand what was going on in the mind of Noah. A man who had been anointed, a man who'd built this boat, a man who'd rescued humankind, a man who'd looked after and had protected, and yet afterwards, something's going on in Noah's mind. Now, I've almost told you what it was by explaining the way on the formula, but let's look at our final workshop. So I'd like you to uncover what you think was in Noah's mind. And the way we're going to do this is through a drash exercise. So for those of you who don't know what a drash exercise is, let me explain. In a moment, I'm going to give you two verses. I'm going to ask you to retell the story as if you were Noah. I want you to retell the story and fill in the gap. In other words, what was Noah thinking when God said what he said? I don't want you to change the facts at all. Um, and I want you to do it in such a way that explains to everybody else who's listening why you think or what you think Noah was thinking and what was occurring to him as God spoke. So the verses I would like you to look at are Genesis 9 verse 11 to 12. And the question is, what went through Noah's mind to need God to invoke the Weoma formula?
does unpacking this help you think through why sometimes God has to say things twice to you? And lastly, could this live wire be a and God said to you? You know, do you feel that God's having to say something to you? Have you mainly picked up on um, an explanation and you feel that, okay, maybe I'm not understanding? Do you feel as though there's some kind of proof that God's trying to speak to you about where you're realizing, actually, I'm not sure I'm believing that I'm anointed? Um, or maybe, you know, there's some kind of sense of warning coming across in this live wire where you're realizing, well, I do understand um, and I do actually believe, but really I'm kind of running away from the purposes of God and God's actually reminding me. There are many, many times in our lives where there is a, and God said, and if there's more information, it's because you're not understanding. If there's some kind of proof, it's because you're not believing. But if there's some kind of warning, it's because God knows you don't really want what he wants. And that needs to change if he's the Lord of our lives. Okay, I hope this was helpful to you. Hopefully that when you do this drash exercise, this final workshop, it will reveal some interesting things. Please share them with the rest of your team. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you in the third and final Livewire episode on this subject of the human pivot.